good to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen? And happy Mother's Day. Today, we honor our mothers. I know on a day like today, there's a host of emotions that are stirred up on a day like this, regardless of those thoughts and feelings that we may have. The truth is, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a mother, right? So really, in my mind, Mother's Day is really a celebration of life. And I know it brings different emotions for different people, and sometimes we struggle with a day like today. But at the end of the day, we celebrate the life that God has given, and that is how we celebrate mothers. I think back to my childhood, and I remember many things about my mom. My mother was a purveyor of laughter in our home. We were never wanting to have fun with mom around, and to this very day, she provides us with many laughs and good times together. I remember when I was a teenager, she would spoil me and uh, fixing meals at all hours of the night for me and all my friends. All, all we had to say was we were hungry, and she would, she would take care of that for her. I remember her helping me learn to ride a bike and, and, uh, and then fixing me up after I decided to make a sweet jump to go over in the driveway and, and uh, didn't go so well, perhaps. Now, I have, to be, I have to be careful what I say about my mom today because she's here. And if you, do, if, if you don't know my mom, let me tell you something about my mother. She has a black belt. Now, her black belt is not in karate or judo or jujitsu or one of those other Japanese words. Her black belt is in spatula. <laughs> My mom has a black belt in spatula, and she would, she, she would not be discriminatory about where the spatula landed, just so you know. And so I can remember well being chased through the house by my mom and her spatula and uh, after I was teasing her, giving her a hard time. And some of the times I probably uh, deserved it and my sisters always deserved it, just so you know. <clears throat> I wonder if you have memories of your own today of things that your mother might have said you can probably finish some of these statements. Maybe you heard your mom say, someday your face will freeze like that. You ever heard that before? Or maybe you said, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> or close the door. Were you born in a barn? Now, what if everybody jumped off a cliff? Would you do it too? Put that thing down. You don't know where it's been. Don't talk with your mouth full. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And maybe some of us have heard mom say, did you flush? <laughs> I read a survey that was given to school-aged children concerning their mothers. The question that was posed to them was, why did God make mothers? And one little girl replied, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. <laughs> they asked the question, how did God make mothers? And one little child answered, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. <laughs> they asked the children, what 
ingredients our mothers made of. And one responded, God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and just a little dab of mean. (laughs) They asked, what kind of girl was your mom when she was little? And one answered, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess is she was pretty bossy. They asked uh, the children, who's the boss at your home? And they answered, my mom doesn't want to be the boss, but she has to be because dad is such a goofball. And all the women said, and all the men said, whatever. (laughs) They asked a question. I thought this was funny. What's the difference between mom and dad? One of them answered, moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. They asked the question, what would make your mom perfect? And they said, she's already perfect on the inside. Outside, maybe I think some kind of plastic surgery. I don't know. (laughs) Those were none of your kids, by the way. So uh, I was sifting through my files some time back, and I ran across a little piece that my father had written about his mother. Grandma Deisler lived to be the age 99, and until 90, age 95, she still lived on the farm in rural Michigan near Lansing. And so my father put together some little bits of wisdom that his mom passed on to him, and I thought I'd share some of the sayings from Grandma Deisler. She was famous for saying, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. If you would have known or been able to meet Grandma Deisler, you would know that she believed that uh, there was she was never idle. She was always working and doing something. She lived on the farm, as I said, until 95. And so she was always about learning and, and, and being innovative. And so that was one of her sayings. Paul encourages us about the things that were true and honest and just and lovely and of good report. And he encouraged the Philippians to follow after those things and the pattern that was set before them. Grandma Deisler said that a job worth doing was worth doing well. She loved to quilt and weave rugs and, and she uh, loved to sew and cook and garden. Uh, at the age of 92, her pastor found her on the roof of the house fixing a leak. Uh, that's the type of person that she was. And so the, God's Word tells us that whatever we do, We should do it with all of our heart as though we were doing it for the Lord. And finally, Grandma used to say, some things you can do for yourself. Grandma was an example of being thrifty and an example of ingenuity and learning and doing. And she often didn't have time to get everything done. And so she taught her children, 12 of them, to help her out around the house. James chapter 1, 22 instructs us to be doers of the Word and not just hearers. If we know to do good and we do it, God blesses those who hear and obey His commands. And so I say to you today, Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day can be difficult for many reasons. For some, motherhood was an accident, perhaps not a welcome thought. For others, motherhood isn't possible. For many, maybe your mother wasn't all that nice. 
For many, the opportunity for being a mother was not materialized in your life yet, and maybe mother has gone on to be with the Lord. So why risk acknowledging Mother's Day at all? We live in a culture that wants to avoid everything that evokes any feelings whatsoever. And I say to you today, we risk because of all of its stumbling blocks and pitfalls and broken dreams and soiled diapers. And I want to tell you, diapers spelled backwards, it repaid. (laughs) Think about it. Grandparents, yes. My kids are here too. We're talking about a beautiful ideal that God has set in place. He has created us for who we are and we gather in this place today with all that is wrong in the world and a world that is broken and we say together we celebrate life and thank God for our mothers. It's appropriate today that we would focus on Mother's Day and celebrate Mother's Day. As I said before, without a mom we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be alive and we're speaking today from the passage that Christian read for us, First Peter chapter 2, about a Christian experience that we call holy living. Holy living really boils down to being obedient. I remember uh, when, when I was young, I remember my mother singing, Trust and Obey. Uh, she always taught uh, junior church. And at a very young age, I became the junior church pianist. And so I, I grew up playing those songs. And back in that day, um, it was uh, Trust and Obey. How many remember that song? That was a staple. Now, we wouldn't, people would scoff if we sang it today. But uh, if you remember singing, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, when I played for junior church, sometimes I'd like to see how fast I could play it. And then that spatula would come out, you know? So I had to watch out for that. Living a holy life really boils down to being obedient to God's Word and living in response to what it says. It's been over a year ago now. I was contacted through my work by a gentleman that worked in the logistics field. And he wanted to come and meet with me and talk about business. Uh, in my line of work, I work in logistics, and so uh, uh, different representatives come along, and they want our business, and so they do nice things, you know. And so I'm always up for free lunch, hint, hint. And uh, and so I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to meet with you. And so we met, and uh, uh, we got to talking, and, and it turned out he was a, a practicing Catholic, and it happened to be the season of Lent. He was telling me, well, I need to find a place. It was a Friday. He needed to find a place that served fish uh, because uh, they, uh, they don't observe, in, the, in the Catholic observ- observance of uh, Lent, they don't eat meat on Fridays. And somewhere along the course of time, they decided that fish would be a, uh, an acceptable substitute. And so I said, okay. And so we found a place that would serve fish. But along the way, we got talking about his Catholic practice and the practice of Lent and how he was uh, going about observing the season of Lent and the attendance of Mass and the, the parish that he attended. And it was very interesting to listen to him talk. And then as he, uh, the conversation began to develop, he asked me about my tradition or my religion. And I said, well, I'm a Wesleyan. 
And uh, I got that look that I've received from others, like, what's a Wesleyan? <laughs> and so I resisted the temptation to give the, the full membership background and Wesley's quadrilateral and all those things. And uh, I just moved right on. I was trying to think in my mind, how can I simply state this? And so uh, I began to tell just a shortened version of that. And in that, I made a comment that West, the Wesleyans are part of the holiness Movement, And then came the question, what is holiness? And that raised another dilemma. How do I explain holiness? And so I simply said this. Wesleyans believe that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it influences the way that we live. In other words, when we come to an altar or sit at a, 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 a table or in our living room or wherever it is that we kneel and pray and say, Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Savior? When we enter into a relationship with Him, it changes the way that we live. I wonder this morning, has God changed your life? Has God changed the way that you live? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jessica shared with us the first installment of this post-Easter theme about being changed. She encouraged us to uh, prepare for spending time in eternity with, in His presence. And she said this, Our hope should lead to holiness. And our holiness results in changed living she uh, shared with us from First Peter, and which says in verse, uh, uh, in the first chapter, verse sixteen, for it is written, "Be holy, because I am holy." And so we find that God has done this great work in Christ Jesus. Christ went to the cross for the sins of mankind. Only three weeks ago, we celebrated the risen Lord, and right in this very room, we said, "He is risen," and you said. He's risen indeed, yes. And that work continues on now. That's not the end of the story. There's more work to come. And so God is encouraging us through the Scriptures to lead and live a holy life. And so Peter kind of switches his focus from that encouragement for holy living to beginning the process of seeing, giving some insight for how that process might begin. He begins in verse 1 by telling us to rid ourselves of malice and all deceit hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. And so God is calling for you and I to get rid of something. The original language in the Greek literally means to lay aside, the laying aside of this thing. If you read the King James Version, that's exactly what it says. It says, these things that would hinder you in your walk with the Lord, you need to rid yourselves or you need to lay those things aside that you might walk with me more fully. Been a few years ago, my wife and I were preparing to hike a portion of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, we've enjoyed hiking uh, over the past several years. Several years ago, we hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim. And so uh, we went with uh, some of our family down to the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail in Georgia at Springer Mountain. And we were going to hike for three or four days. And in preparation for that, one of the big important things is how much you're going to carry. Because uh, when you're hiking like that, everything you carry, you carry in and you carry out. 
There, there's not like trash cans along the way and, you know, not a convenience store at the corner of the trail that you can pick up more supplies. So, so the, but you're walking for miles, sometimes eight, ten miles in a day, uh, difficult elevations. And so you want to be careful how much weight you carry. And so we had a goal in mind of where we wanted to be. For me, I wanted to carry 25 pounds. And so we spent days, literally days, weighing our packs and then began the process of laying aside. Do I need this thing? Can I, can I get a flashlight that weighs less? Maybe I take this book and tear it in half because I know I won't read it all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I wanted my pack to be 25 pounds. And so I began the process of laying aside. So when I'm on the trail, I'm not hindered because I'm carrying too much weight. That's the kind of thing that we're called to in our lives, in our spiritual walk. That laying aside of these things, these things that, that Peter mentions here, really have to do with how we treat each other. Not to have malice or be troublemakers or not to be deceit or being dishonest about things. The, the original language for deceit has to do with the, like a bait you would use in fishing. Hypocrisy, literally the acting on a stage like a player is what that means. Probably the biggest complaint we hear in the world about the church. Envy, jealousy, slander, speaking evil of others. One of the things I noticed, I began to notice uh, as I was reading this and doing some study, was the similarities between what Peter was saying and what Paul has said. There's some great significance in that as you think about that Paul was a Gentile and Peter was a Jew and, and, the, and they might have seen a little bit as rivals perhaps in, in the ministry of uh, Peter versus the ministry of Paul. But they were on the same page and so I began to explore some of the things that Paul had written. He wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. He said, you were taught with regard to your former life, put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He said to the Colossians in Colossians 3, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander. Do you hear it? Filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self and its practices, put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then he said to the Corinthians, Therefore, he said, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And so God is wanting to do something new in our lives when we come to Christ. Yesterday we saw something new. About right here, Pastor Jared and Pastor Jessica, or Jessica, Pastor Kayla, stood right here and they exchanged vows. And they exchanged rings. And they declared their love each to the other before God and witnesses, many of you. And something new happened in that moment. For the rest of time, they'll be known as one. And they sealed it with a kiss. Somebody told me that Jared needs to learn how to kiss. (laughs) And I said, he'll learn. (laughs) He'll learn. You can tell him I said that. I don't care. I don't work here. (laughs) I, 
That's the one, one of the great things about this gig. I can't be fired and you can't reduce my pay. So uh, watch out. I'll be done in about two hours. So as I was studying this message, the idea of this idea of something new began to creep out of the text. That God wants to do something new in our lives. We're not just talking here about getting saved. Yeah, getting saved is the first step. It's not just about being forgiven. It's what God wants to do with us after that has occurred. Charles Spurgeon referred to newness in Christ as one of God's greatest achievements. He went on to say that we should not merely gaze upon this miracle because we are partaking in the miracle. We talk about miracles all the time. We talk about uh, the miracles that Christ did. He turned the water into wine. He was healing lepers and making the blind so they can see and a lame could walk again. Do you know that God is doing a miracle in your life when He begins to change the desires of your heart? And we're not standing on the sidelines wondering what's happening or looking from afar and saying, oh, that's really cool. We experience it. We are in the miracle with Him when we allow Him to come and change our hearts and lives. Have you thought about this? That God is doing a miracle in you this morning. So we walk with Christ and He's doing something new in our hearts. Salvation, of course, but there's more. And some might say, well, Mark, God loves me just the way I am. And that's true. He does. And He loves you so much that He doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants to do something new in your life. And so it's that miracle that happens when we begin to walk with Him and talk with Him and study His Word. And those old desires begin to be replaced by His desires. And the miracle of transformation is happening in our hearts day by day. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled And the desire of Christ for His children is that we would move on to spiritual maturity once we've decided to follow Him. There's a popular mantra in our society today that says, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. And I want to tell you that's a cop-out. That's a recipe for spiritual laziness. It's true. We are just forgiven. And it's true that we're not perfect. But that's not the end of the story. And if we rest there, then there's no desire to move forward in our lives and begin to lay down those things that Peter's talking about and that Paul's talking about. We lay those things down and something new begins to happen in our life. God wants to do a new thing in your heart this morning. He wants to change you into a new person with a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Those old attitudes and old desires and old temptations, those things need to go. They need to die. God has a miracle in mind for you, and it's a changed heart. One day, Peter and Jesus were having an argument. Can you imagine arguing with Jesus? And that's exactly what Peter did. You can read about what is it was Matthew 16. Uh, they're having an argument. Jesus had been sharing with the disciples about um, the fact that he was going to be taken to the cross and he was going to die and he'd raise up and all, and all these terrible things. And, Jesus, and Peter said, no, that's not, that's not you. 
But the scripture says it wasn't like, now Jesus, let's talk about this. It wasn't like that. The scripture says he rebuked him. The original language means it's a strict censure. They were arguing. They were going at it about what was happening. And Jesus came right back at him. I wonder what it was like for the other disciples. <laughs> you ever been in a set conversation where something uncomfortable is like going down and you're like, whoa, dude, you know, <laughs> I'll be over here if you need anything, you know? That's what I, that's how I imagine that going on, you know? Peter and Jesus are just going at it. And Jesus looks at him and he rebukes Peter and then he says this, if any man will be my disciple, He's going to have to take up his cross and follow me. And so this is what we see happening, folks. We see Peter and Paul calling us to lay down and lay down and lay down these things that hinder us and keep us from being all that God wants us to be. And Jesus comes along and says, i got something for you to take up. And it's not his cross, it's your cross. He says, if any man wants to be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. Do you want to be his disciple? Do you want those old desires to fade away? Those old appetites that come and seem like they just repeat over and over? The Scripture is telling us today, lay those things down. Now let's take up Jesus. Take up that cross. Follow. And that cross will meet you day in and day out. You say, how's that, Mark? The cross meets us when we're tired. When we're too tired to pick up His Word. But we do it anyway. The cross meets us when we find that our rights are being challenged and tempted and we're tempted to fight and stand up for ourselves, even at the expense of the innocent. But we hold our tongue. Some of you will go out to eat today. I know I'm meddling. Some of you will go out to eat today. And what happens if you get bad service? Waiters and waitresses say Sunday's their worst day because that's when the Christians come from church and they're demanding. Will you still tip? Will you have an attitude that displays something other than the love of Christ? I want to tell you, that's got to die if we're going to love the world the way that God is calling us to. And so at the expense of the innocent, we'll no longer stand up for everything we deserve, but we will quietly yield and love others. Many examples we could cite for that. The cross meets us when temptation comes in the night, sometimes over and over, and we follow God's Word and we flee from it. The cross meets us when pride says that we're better than everybody else, but we step back and we yield to others. The cross meets us when this insecurity says we're not good enough, but we rise to new heights in the strength of the Lord. 
The cross meets us when compromise is the easiest path, but we choose the more difficult way of faithfulness. The the cross meets us when we've had a busy week and we're tempted to stay in bed instead of worshiping with the body. But we know that we meet here not for ourselves, but for the good of community. And so we crawl out of bed and we faithfully make our way to a place of worship. And sometimes that's the cross we carry. Even when we don't feel like it. I don't always feel like being here. And I know you don't either. (laughs) But this is where we ought to be. And if you don't have a church home today, we'd love for you to make this one yours. Take up your cross. This is the cross that meets us every day, all day, when we choose to follow Him. This brings us to the table of the Lord this morning. We, we hear Peter and we hear Paul echoing this idea of laying aside. We lay aside these things. All that's going to hinder our relationship with Christ, we lay aside. And then we take up as we follow Him. By taking up the cross and following Christ, something begins to change in our lives. Those old appetites and desires, they, they are off by the wayside. They begin to fade and God changes it with that miraculous newness that comes in our hearts. And we begin to adopt His desires and His ways. What is that thing that you're holding on to in your life today? It might just be an attitude. Maybe you have a critical spirit. It might be you have a tendency to say things you shouldn't. Or may, maybe it's some hidden sin in your life that just needs to be laid down and you need to pick up that cross and follow after Him and allow God to begin to change what's in your heart. And so we're going, we're, going to, we're going to do something a little different as we receive communion. It'll be distributed in the usual way. And I want you to hold on to the elements until we'll all receive together like normal. But we're not going to sing. There's no fanfare. We're just going to be reflective. And here's what I want us to think about. Usually when we come to the table of the Lord, we're thinking we're remembering the cross of Christ and we're remembering His sacrifice and the passion. And of course we're going to do that. But today is also a place of application. And so we come to the table today in response of God's Word. Scripture says when you come to the table of the Lord, you should take account of yourself. And that's exactly what we'll do. And so while we're waiting for everyone to be served, we're just going to sit here quietly. And and we're going to reflect on what God has taught us today. And it may be that you just need in your heart, as you take of the bread and you take the cup and you receive those in your heart, you just need to quietly say, Lord, I lay this down. Don't say it out loud. People will think you're weird. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? In our hearts, we just need to come to a place and say, I lay this thing down. These old appetites are just creeping up and they're hindering my walk with the Lord. And I I need to see a miracle in my life that changes the way I live. Lord, I lay this thing down. And maybe today you need to take up that cross 
Whatever that means in your life, it's going it's to manifest itself in different ways for all of us as we follow Him. And so before the usher's service, there's a little prayer that we're going to say together as a prayer of consecration. Can we have that up? This came from John Wesley from his plain account of Christian perfection sermon. And so I want us to say it in unison. Can we do that? And then we'll just wait upon the Lord to meet with us in this time and in a moment we'll receive at the table together. Let's say it together, shall we? O Lord, may nothing dwell in my soul but Your pure love alone till my every thought, word, and act be love. Yes, Lord, may Your love possess me whole. You're my joy, my treasure, my crown.